Welcome back to another episode of the Pharmacy Near Me podcast. On today's show, I have Ashley and Brooke Barlow. They grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia and Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania, and both received their Doctor of Pharmacy degree from Jefferson College of Pharmacy. Ashley's current interests include cardiology, oncology, and critical care, along with a goal to pursue a career in academia. Beyond her passion for pharmacy, she enjoys being creative in the kitchen, cooking healthy meals, and putting her strength to the test with weightlifting and exploring different landmarks while shooting photographs. Brooke's current interests include critical care, infectious disease, and oncology. Together, they become most known for their love of teaching clinical pearls and creating infographics that are frequently used throughout the foam community. Please enjoy this conversation I had with Ashley and Brooke. Today I have uh, two really awesome guests on. I'm actually thrilled I could get both of you at the same time uh, and have your schedules work out because I know it's not easy as residents, uh, let alone residents at two different programs to coordinate schedules with myself. So I really appreciate it. But so Ashley and Brooke Barlow, uh, everyone hopefully knows you by now. I'd imagine if you don't know who they are, you've probably been living under a pharmacy rock. But uh, if you don't know who they are, uh, I'll let them briefly introduce themselves so you can kind of have an idea. So Ashley, why don't you go first? Hi, Craig. Thanks so much for having us on the podcast today. So like you said, my name is Ashley Barlow. I am a second year pharmacy resident at MD Anderson Cancer Center specializing in oncology. I'm thrilled to be here to talk to you all today. I'll pass the baton over to Brooke to introduce herself. I'm really happy you said y'all. <laughs> I'm learning. It's catching on to me. I've only been here for around five months, but it's, everyone says it, so I've got to say it too. I think being in Kentucky for a whole year, hopefully that's kind of caught on to her as well. <laughs> um, so my name is Brooke Barlow. I'm a PGY2 critical care pharmacy resident at University of Kentucky Healthcare. This is my second year here, and I'm glad to be staying on and also excited to be here on the podcast. Well, again, yeah, thanks for taking so much time out of your day. Uh, and I know I can see one, one's enjoying a leisurely outside break with her badge on, and then one's at work. So again, I, I really appreciate you taking some time. But so one of the reasons why I wanted to have uh, both of you on the podcast was to try to help understand what it's like as a resident right now. And more specifically, if you could kind of take yourselves back to last year or the year before and try to give some advice to hopeful residents that are looking at you know, 2020 and trying to figure out how the heck they're going to get a residency spot. <laughs> sure. So this year, um, this is Brooke speaking, you know, it's definitely, I think this is going to be a new year for everyone with residency, right? We're kind of coming up on ACCP annual meeting, which is going to be virtual, as well as ASHP mid-year, um, you know, PPS, residency interviews, that's all going to look so different for residents and even prospective, you know, as me and Ashley go into the job force, you know, what is, is that interview process going to look like? So it's going to be new, but knowing it's new for everyone, I think kind of brings like some sense of refreshment or enjoyment, you know, kind of understanding what this process looks like and how it looks like for you as well as from the program director's perspective. Um, so I would say definitely take the opportunity to still, you know, embrace that process of the re residency interview season, you know, understanding the programs and being able to communicate with, you know, even future or prospective residents at that program things like that, it's important to, I think, still make sure that you, you know, take that residency interview as if you're there, you know what I mean? Get excited, make sure that you communicate with the residents that are there as well as the preceptors and things like that. Um, 
Other things I would say, you know, from a residency perspective, although COVID has surely changed a lot from an educational and rotational perspective, the programs have really done an exceptional job of making sure that residents are engaged, you know, in the educational experience. And I've been extremely grateful. Uh, as a critical care resident, I've actually had the opportunity to get um, work with the COVID patients and be in the COVID unit, which I found has been really an exceptional experience, you know, from a critical care's perspective, but then also, um, you know, from being able to precept students and things like that on that rotation as well. So it's an evidence-based medicine <laughs> challenge for sure, but it's something that I've been, you know, grateful to have the opportunity for. Ashley, you're more than welcome to share your insight as well. Yeah, so I guess, you know, I when I was finishing out my PGY one year, obviously everything started to happen with COVID, like right towards the tail end. And I kind of took it as an opportunity to try and help where I possibly, wherever I possibly could. Like I was involved in um, developing the field hospital at University of Maryland Medical Center and helping kind of do that. But now that COVID's kind of, everyone's used to COVID, now it's kind of like, okay, well, what do we do from a residency perspective to kill, to still keep our residents and you know prospective residents engaged i will say the one thing i have seen is more residency programs have gotten involved in either instagram or twitter and trying to make themselves more known in this landscape since you know people aren't going to be seeing them physically in person they're trying to make use of social media in different ways of reaching out to residents which i think is a really excellent thing i've seen specifically on instagram which is kind of a social media landscape i'm not really involved in that much but i have seen a couple residency programs have like um interviews with their residents like you know and they're all the same questions i've seen people ask at showcases like what is the day life what is the life in the day of a resident how do you interact with your providers so i think this is a really unique thing that people should start looking for um since we're not going to be in person and able to ask as many questions as we were when we had a regular showcase. Um, I also think that that future residents, that future prospective residents should find ways to reach out to people and find their emails because, you know, we're not going to be having the in-person ASHP mid-year and it's going to be a lot harder and finding ways to make yourself stand out is going to be also different as well since the whole virtual interview thing is going to be really different. Um, so definitely finding ex finding experienced people who like me and Brooke, PGY2 residents, who have gone through the interview process and um, asking us for our advice during this really challenging and difficult time. I mean, from the, the, the perspective that pharmacists generally are not the early adopters in most technology or something new, being forced to adopt something like this has really been interesting to watch from, I guess from the outside a little bit, because uh, like yourselves, we've been involved with social media for a little bit now and, and had some success, but seeing other people do it and do it differently and still be successful, it's been really eye-opening to exactly all the different methods I guess you could you could have on social media. From from that perspective, and again your experience with social media, like what do you think you've started to do differently or maybe done the same throughout uh, your experience so far and in, in your, your education? So you're you're asking more or less from from a residence perspective in from a residency program searching those kinds of things you're just saying being pharmacy on social media, how are you kind of embracing this social media movement? Well, I mean, for, let's do the residency perspective because I think that's probably the, the, the most recent 
I guess, addition to the, to the social media landscape? Yeah, uh, so our program here, University of Kentucky, actually just developed an Instagram account uh, where they're kind of posting exactly kind of similar to what Ashley said, the day in the life of a resident. Um, and I think for us, it's really helped, you know, kind of residents that may not otherwise, or students that may not know about our program, what exactly do we do in our on-call program? What does, you know, the us giving TPA the bedside, I can explain that to you, but what does that look like? How is that interdisciplinary approach? Um, and I think our Instagram has been doing a really good job of helping to explain that. I think from Ashley and I's perspective, so that's kind of like on a residency program basis, but on an individual resident, I think a lot of, you know, residents and students that are starting to get engaged in Twitter are, you know, sharing a lot of their educational pearls or maybe what they do on rotation, some awards that they've won. You know, I know students with the ACCP Clinical Pharmacy Challenge that just went on are kind of posting some of their accomplishments. And I think it's a great way of kind of mastering, I don't know if you've ever heard of the art of the humble brag, um, but that's something that you know, Ashley Hayes, who is actually a clinical pharmacist, she did a great presentation on here for one of our grand rounds that was like how to master the virtual interview and you know mastering the art of the humble brag so being able to you know kind of advocate for yourself and within in an era of like you know obviously social distancing i think social media is a great platform for that right so posting some of your accomplishments on there you know you were in the top four final challenge of the accp clinical pharmacy challenge and it's just a way for people to understand more about who you are as a person outside of just what's on your cv and I think Ashley and I have really embraced social media in that aspect, whether it's through posting infographics or, you know, some of our manuscripts or things like podcasts that we like to do. It's just really a great way to be able to showcase who you are outside of just a CV or a letter of intent that's maybe a page or a couple of words. So that's at least what I've enjoyed about it. I mean, that's really interesting. So like, had, had they suggested a way to kind of package your social media or internet stuff uh, like a CV or are they just saying, you know, here's some examples of what I've done. Like, how do you, how do you package that? <laughs> Maybe Ashley wants to tackle that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I will say it's actually kind of funny. We, we went through the other day kind of, uh, you know, as you're getting ready for interviews, like what are some things that you want to keep in check? And everyone was like, make sure all your social media accounts are like private or something and you know I had this like thought in my head that like popped up and I was like you know what I actually my my social media account advocates for me professionally you know some people have the social media accounts where maybe it's not used for professional purposes but I kind of felt like you know saying that like you know some people really do use social media as a professional purpose like like Brooke and I do and a lot of people are learning about um so yeah so I would say from I talked to my advisor is, is heavily involved in social media, Kelly Marks, she's on Twitter. Um, and, you know, she kind of told me our social media account, especially with Twitter, it kind of mixes in your personal accomplishments with your personality. So like me and Brooke, we're, we're um, point is being creative people. And so, you know, our puns that we use, um, you know, our different infographics that we make, there's always just some type of creativity that's intermingled with the type of content that we post. And so I think in terms of like looking at a CV, you can see the accomplishments people have done, but do you really know their personality? Like, you know, are they, are they an introvert? Are they someone who are, is it maybe a little bit of an extrovert? Like how do they connect or reflect on the types of accomplishments that they've done? And so I think the, like how social media can really amplify this is 
by posting about yourself or by, you know, engaging in this like worldwide community at this point, um, it can help people learn a lot more about you rather than just looking at your CV, like Brooke had said. And so I've, people have told me, you know, recommended that, you know, posting about yourself and posting about some of the accomplishments and publications that you've done is really a great way for people to know more about you, especially when looking at a CV. Sometimes CVs can be up to like 10 to 15 pages and, and, you know, but posting it on Twitter is kind of a more of a, a single highlight about what you did, why it was important and what you took away from it, which is much more than just reading it on a CV. And what do you think, uh, the role of, and you, you kind of touch on it and maybe let me back up and explain what I'm, I guess I'm trying to get at. So one of the things that is hard to, I guess, figure out from a CV perspective alone, especially from a, a, like an employer standpoint or a residency recruitment standpoint um, from an RPD is that I have no idea anything about you as a person or a human from your CV. So with, with the social media that you've been kind of describing, how do you balance kind of expressing yourself as a person, which is really important with uh, kind of representing yourself uh, from the, the content in your CV? Like, had you done anything to kind of marry those two when you when you were, I guess, looking for a program, Brooke? So I will say I do have my Twitter account on my CV, um, oh. and I'm not sure. So my question for you would be, you know, is that something that an RPD would look at? And my thought process was when I did that for PGY1 interviews and when I went through PPS, which was in person at the time, putting my Twitter handle on my CV allowed them to know that I'm interested in social media. You know, they could take a look at my account. I wanted that to be public so that that's not something someone, you know, if I all of a sudden, you know, was accepted to a program, they didn't know my interest in social media. I wouldn't want that to be a surprise because it is public. It's a public account. Um, you know, Ashley and I gain more followers. And I think that that's something I'm passionate about. So I want people to also know about that. Also, you know, and I think when you say marry the two of them, that's really interesting to me because this year I've had the opportunity to work with Dr. Jeff Kane, who's um, a professor here at the College of Pharmacy. And something we did together was start to work on social media based research, right? So we just did a project that said, do infographics and tweets, um, which one gets higher engagement on social media? So for me, I guess that because I, I am passionate about social media, that was a way for me to kind of like marry those two things um, and show people that I do have an interest beyond just the social interactions, you know. Um, so hopefully that helps to answer your question, but I think a lot of it has to do with like, if you're on social media, I think the important thing is if you're going to make that public and you're, if you're going to make that a professional account, you need to ensure that the information you're displaying on there is exactly that. And if you want to keep a private account, that's okay as well. And, you know, when Ashley and I talk to other students, we definitely do advocate for that, right? We say you should have a professional account if you want a different personal account, that's okay, but keeping it private to your employers or other people who you may not want to look at that information. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective and then trying to put myself in a resident's shoes as well, if it's something that I was committed to or passionate about, with social media, I want to match that with the right program. So having it up front and center so they could identify that and either figure out if this is going to be a good match, uh, no pun intended, or not, then 
that that's something that's still valuable. You have to find the right RPD and the right program. And then for yourselves too, kind of going from a first year residency to a second year residency, you're probably spending a lot more time with your RPD and preceptors way more than your first year. So making sure that you have, com I don't want to say the same, but at least compatible personalities and, and, and views and goals are, is probably the best thing. So from an RPD standpoint, I'd, I'd, I'd absolutely like to know it. But again, at the same time, like you were mentioning, uh, it's no secret if no one's, if you're not doing this, like if you're not checking up on people on social media, when you're looking through all the applications, you're probably doing somewhat of a disservice, honestly, because you can find out a lot about somebody, both good and bad. Most of the time it's good, um, but occasionally you can, and it's really not a surprise after you really kind of look through the CV and it's a little thin or the interview wasn't amazing and then you kind of confirm suspicions or you can kind of find things that are surprising on, on, on social media. <laughs> There was a statistic I did in my grand round. So it was on like building your brand on social media. And it was estimated that 60% of employers look at social media profiles when, before hiring a candidate or like bef before even offering them an onsite interview. And just to kind of do exactly that, a scoping review. And I can surely say for Ashley and I, whether it was PGY1 or PGY2 interviews, we researched the program directors and preceptors on social media, whether that was LinkedIn, Twitter, um, or research gate, which like isn't really social media, but just a way to kind of understand more about programs and RPDs. And we found that extremely valuable, right? Because then we would know if our personalities matched. Right. And then there's different aspects to different social media platforms. So you don't really conduct yourself the same way you would on like LinkedIn, like you would on Instagram, like they're not really compatible. Uh, so they can kind of highlight different aspects of your personality, but also different aspects of your professionalism as well. Um, so there, it obviously social media is, is, is changing. It's, it's changed a lot since I started, uh, and, and myself and Nadia with the blog and then kind of working on our own and our own different projects. But like, have you seen any change in, in your, I guess, professional interactions on Twitter now that you're growing a little bit more mature or maybe getting more experienced? In, in trying to share different things or follow different people. Uh, like, I don't know what your experience with that has been, Ashley. Yeah, so um, just to touch on one thing really quickly about what you said with aligning with the program and then I'll touch on your next point, but this is just something I find is really amazing. So both my advisors, both PGY1 and PGY2 year had been aligned with me because they both shared an interest in social media, just like me. And um, at almost every interview I went to, uh, at least the ones I had particularly found to be enjoyable, they knew something about my social media presence. So I will say that, you know, for anyone who's on social media, like Brooke said, put it on your CV. And then if you connect with the program, and if it's really a part of your life that you're passionate about, like Brooke and I are, um, you know, make that known so that, you know, the, you can find the program that directly aligns with you and your interests. Now, on to kind of how I feel like our social media Twitter presence has changed since we've been on since 2017, I think. Last time I checked, that's when we joined. Um, I would definitely say that now that me and Brooke are becoming more specialized, I'm oncology, she's critical care. We're still trying to keep like an open presence just because the followers that we've gained throughout time have been from various specialties. We started this back when we were in pharmacy school, not in specialty training. And so we still try to keep the content that we post very general. And it's, we also agreed upon that within each other, like not separating our accounts because 
I like to keep up to date on all information, not just specific to oncology. So I felt like this would be a great way for me to reflect on information that's new that may not be specific to my specialty. I'll also say that we've done a lot with trying to make sure that we get peer review, at least within each other or other people for posts that we're making because we had a couple times where maybe we didn't provide a reference and people had questions. Um, or if maybe there was information that someone had that was maybe a little bit different that they wanted to share. I feel like we've learned a lot about keeping ourselves credible and making sure that we have references, you know, spelling mistakes, things like that throughout time. Um, that's definitely been really helpful. And I, you know, I will say I, my favorite part that has kind of flourished throughout Twitter is the multidisciplinary presence. Um, you know, at first we were mainly targeting pharmacy related people that we were familiar with, but now um, I feel like our presence has grown and we've tried to attract a multidisciplinary audience from nurses, nurse practitioners and physicians that has been a really enjoyable part of our growing Twitter account. Just hearing all the different perspectives, it really puts it in, uh, I guess, to perspective that there's so many different ways to kind of approach social media and, and what we do professionally. Um, one thing that I always try to wrestle with is, and I, I think it's a, a a big barrier for a lot of people is you get apprehensive about tweeting about something, especially if it's something you're not totally certain about. Like if you have a question about a, a paper, that's what I'd like to see more. And I try to do it myself a little bit more is that you try to ask more questions because there's so many other people out there with different points of view uh, that are willing to, to help answer. But there's this fear of being wrong uh, or showing some sort of weakness in, in asking a question to begin with. So how would you suggest with your experience that I go about being better at asking questions and not worrying about the outcome? I think keeping questions open-ended, that's something Ashley and I do a lot, right? Especially in the field of critical care, and I'm sure with her in oncology, I mean, there is a whole gray zone of medicine and it's undoubtedly, especially now in the era of COVID-19, that the gray zone is getting even grayer um, in the area of evidence-based medicine. So I think asking questions is something Ashley and I have done. We're very, we've always been described as inquisitive people. Um, so I think, you know, asking those questions, but keeping them open-ended, right? Not trying to have like a polarizing view when you're asking a question, like, oh, I think this way, but what is your opinion? Instead, we try to keep things very open-ended um, and we tag people. So oftentimes we have a question in mind, it's targeted towards a specific thing. Like we, I had a question about, you know, amiodarone loading dose, whether or not the bioavailability of amiodarone is considered when making that transition to IVPO and calculating the whole total loading dose. So, and in my mind, you know, I had a specific opinion on it, but I didn't essentially express that in my tweet, right? I left it very open-ended. Hey, these are the facts. The bioavailability is X, Y, and Z. And do you consider this in your conversion from giving IV to PO when doing your total loading dose calculation? And I tagged, you know, a bunch of cardiology or critical care people and let them share their opinion. And then the discussion always happens naturally from there, which is one of my favorite parts about Twitter. I think that the, the discussion that's made is so different than any other social media platform, right? If you create something like I don't know, a blog post or a paper, or you submit a manuscript, et cetera, there's not much discussion. But on Twitter, that's 110%, I think, 
the best opportunity to engage in that discussion, whether you're just reading it and being a lurker, kind of engaging with it or engaging with the information. Um, so I think keeping things open-ended, but then also tagging people. So at least, you know, you get some response and it kind of um, engages some people in the discussion. Ash, I'm not sure if you've any additional thoughts on that. Yeah, and I think this is such a great point because I'll never forget how many times, you know, this is funny because this has happened a couple of times where, you know, say we post about something that we may have learned in pharmacy school or by a preceptor on rotation or something, and someone has a different opinion about it. And it can be something really controversial. I, I remember Brooks did something about vasopressors and like RV failure or something along those lines. And, you know, some people had the opinion that maybe that wasn't the right statement and some people had the opinion that it was. But my favorite thing is, is that, you know, whether or not it was right or wrong, the people who posted about it with a conflicting opinion were incredibly supportive. I mean, we had one, actually a physician, he posted his response about how he did, he thought a little bit differently, provided a reference, his own anecdotal experience, and then like went on to message us personally to say, hey, I think this was like a great pearl that you may have learned before. I just like wanted to share my perspective. What did you think? Um, you know, you know, if you have any further questions, let me know, like that kind of thing. And it's just amazing to see how supportive this environment is. You're always going to have those people that may say, oh, that's wrong, or, you know, something like that. It, it's knowing kind of what to filter, you know, no pun intended, because you can actually can filter things on Twitter, but um, knowing in what information to filter, and then those people who are actually there to advance your learning and really engage their own opinion um, with, with being in a really supportive environment. My, like the the thought of having so many other people with different opinions, it, it obviously can be uh, intimidating, but knowing that there's people out there like that that are really not there to, I guess, hold those things against you, They're, they are trying to help you learn. I think that's one thing that I've learned over the years is that most people, if they're pointing something out, they have a valid point of view, especially if they do it in a certain way. And trolls, of course, are there, but, uh, to be honest, I haven't encountered too many of them that uh, are nothing more than that you really just dismiss anyway. But seeking out that different opinion uh, has been, at least for me, formative. And it's, it's in incredible that you guys are getting this experience so early on in your professional career, because it took me maybe five to eight years after residency to really figure out uh, being open to different suggestions, especially about something that I had thought was right or a fact. And then in fact, it turned out to be completely wrong or I missed a key element to that. So knowing that those things are happening, I think that's all the more reason for more and more pharmacists to get involved as much as possible, not just from the recruitment standpoint, but also from the professional standpoint. Um, and of course you have to do it with some professional context and keeping patient information, I mean, entirely off of it. Uh, and uh, even, even still like there's, I guess the way that someone had put it, even if you're taking like a snapshot of a screenshot of a chief complaint, that might be a little silly. Uh, sharing that on social media is probably not a good idea. There's in no way, shape or form, it could be tied back to the patient, but it might. And you really don't wanna, uh, I guess, bridge that gap too much but uh listen i've really appreciated you being on the podcast I, I appreciate your time i know you're still working as residents uh 
And if anyone has any other questions or wants to keep talking, obviously we'll be on social media. But um, again, really, I thank you for your time. And hopefully we can do this again really soon and hopefully in person at one point in time. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Thanks so much, Craig. It was great to be here today. Thank you so much for having us. All right, talk to you soon. <laughs>